This is the Barbecue Central Show Archives. The Barbecue Central Show airs live each Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and is brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, makers of automatic temperature control devices and a host of other products that make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit them online at thebbqguru.com or call them 800-288-GURU. And by Big Papa Smokers, creators of fabulous rubs, online retailer of grills, accessories, apparel, and creators of their own barbecue contests. Visit them online at BigPapaSmokers.com. And by Butcher Barbecue, creators of injections and rubs, sweeping the nation, doing well in competitions and in the backyard. You can visit them at ButcherBBQ.com. And by Stephen DeFranco Jewelers, official jeweler of the Barbecue Central Show. Call 440-943-2700 and use key term Barbecue Brother when you talk to Steve. Or visit them online at StephenDeFranco.com. And by Green Mountain Grills, one of the best pellet grills you can get on the market today. Varying sizes, not only for your capacity of cooking, but for your budget as well. Visit GreenMountainGrills.com for more information. And by El Diablo Mustard. Looking for a little bit of heat and flavor and regular old yellow mustard? El Diablo has you covered. Six different flavors to choose from currently. And you can find them at LDiabloMustard.com. And by CookingPellets.com. Have a pellet-driven cooker? Why not try out some of the best pellets on the market? And will not void any of your warranties, by the way. CookingPellets.com is the website. And by CookShack, a premier manufacturer of electric and pellet-driven cookers, giving barbecue classes located in Ponca City, Oklahoma. Always running some kind of a special deal. Check them out at CookShack.com. of Wine Library TV, a.k.a. WLTV, and this is BBQ Central. So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening and welcome to the really big Barbecue Central show. Uh, this is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. Broadcasting live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I don't care what anybody says. I'm your program host, Greg Grumpy. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening if you want to jump in on the show tonight. More than happy to have you, 216-220-0966. You can also email the show, greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. Those are your two ways to get in touch with me. Anything else you want to find out about the show, you can get at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. Here's what's happening on the show tonight. Coming up in about 13 minutes from now, a somewhat frequent guest of the show, somebody that I like talking the barbecue and the grilling with CB chef Barry Martin. 
will be uh, joining us. We're going to be talking uh, specifically uh, about the uh, the tail. Do you do the tailgate? Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. Mostly. We might get into some other stuff uh, should, uh, should time allow. Uh, but uh, that is uh, what is currently on the agenda for uh, this evening. So uh, hopefully everybody will be ready to go, rocking and rolling as it were. Uh, what is going on with my, I guess that would be my right arm to you guys there. Oh, wait. There we go. All I got to do is get in the damn picture. Very good. And for folks who don't know, there's a video side to the show as well. We invite you to check it out. Uh, coming up at 9.35. You see him on the World Food Championships at the very end of every episode. Mike McLeod will be joining us. Looking forward to talking with Mike. Uh, talking a little bit more specifically on the upgrades that have been made to the outdoor uh to the World Food Championships uh, this coming season. So looking forward to talking with Mike. Then we'll move on to the second hour for the third week in a row. A roundtable. A competition roundtable. This week, it is all about the pork ribs, brother. That's right, brother. Three of the, perhaps I should say it like this. Hold on one second, please. The top three rib cooks in all of the land will be joining us at 10 o'clock. Scott Smith, Drew McNatt, Dana Hillis, all will be on the ribs dais, bringing it long and strong. By the way, uh, Drew McNatt, Hogtide Barbecue, currently ranked number one in ribs, KCBS. Scott Smith, Q and Stewin and Bruin, currently ranked number two in ribs kcbs dana hillis big papa's country kitchen finished first overall in the uh, ribs category for the 2014 fba season that just wrapped up shout out to jim elser for winning 2014 uh, team of the year in the fba by the way he's a frequent guest of this show or a frequent uh, watcher of the show and guest on the show as well so uh, Dana Hillis will be uh, joining us via FBA, and he, I believe he gets into the KCBS stuff as well. So the <coughs> the top three rib cooks in all of the land will be joining us at 10 o'clock. So as we've said, each of the past two weeks, uh, kiss the kids, get the drink, bust out the pen, the paper, get a pen, get a pencil, some type of writing utensil, because they're going to throw down all of the ribs knowledge that you could possibly want savor pine for and or ask for otherwise all here on this show so there you go 216-220-0966 greg at the bbq central show.com uh, you are watching and or listening to the show do me a favor help spread the love make a facebook post get on the tweeter or do whatever type of social media that you do. Maybe you're a nerd and you like Reddit. Let everybody know in the Reddit community the show's on. A couple of different links. The main website for the audio stuff, thebbqcentralshow.com. For the video side of things, the longtime video syndication partner of the show, outdoorcookingchannel.com. You can also find this, of course, on the Roku. Go to the App Store, download Outdoor Cooking Channel in the App Store, and then you have a live stream option there. 
And don't forget, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes for all of the Audible replays. We number in the uh, eight to ten to twelve thousand per month. Believe it or not, folks, that's right. It's the most popularly downloaded barbecue show in the land. You can also go to my YouTube channel, which you can see uh, right there on the lower third. It's youtubecom slash B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E, the numeral for the letter U. That's barbecue for you. Outdoor Cooking Channel, obviously, will have video replays. And the main website is basically the clearinghouse for replays, both video and audio. No reason you should ever miss anything on this show. Ever. Did anybody watch the Belmont Stakes? This or the Belmont Stakes. Oh, hello. The Travers Stakes this past weekend, uh, running at the beautiful, majestic, and historied Saratoga Race Course. And while I guess it wasn't technically the last race he was going to call, but uh, Tom Durkin, longtime race announcer at uh, Saratoga, but for Naira, the New York Racing Association, is uh, going to be retiring after the meet in Saratoga. And uh, the Travers is the big race during the Saratoga meet each and every summer. And one for the ages, I want to say he never listens to the show that I can imagine. Um, if he ever does, I want to pay tribute by raising a brewski to the one and only Tom Durkin. Enjoy the retirement. I will miss your calls. The race. So the reason I like horse racing is because of Tom Durkin, basically. That guy's a star. Maybe now that he has more time on his hands, I can actually get him onto this show and he can call me calling the show. Mm-hmm. That is a tasty beverage. Uh, so congratulations to Tom on retirement and a absolutely terrific golden horse race announcing career. Folks, I'm uh, drinking a couple brews tonight. It's a, a craft-made brew. Perhaps you've heard of it. Natural Light. Do you know you can get 12 of these for like 5 bucks? Value personified. Which leads me to the next bit of information that I wanted to share with you this evening. Folks, maybe you didn't know this. Maybe you did. Hangover cure? Drink alcohol in the morning. Yeah, that's right, folks. Uh, scientists have confirmed perhaps what we all knew already, the best hangover cure, is basically to never stop boozing. An independent study shows that the Hair of the dog could really be the best hangover cure, according to a new book examining the science of alcohol. Devotees of the bacon sandwich, rehydration solutions, and painkillers may be surprised to learn that drinking more after a heavy night could provide more than just a renewed level of tipsiness to stave off. Alcohol relieves a hangover. Speaking at a Google talk earlier this year, he said belief in the hair of the dog cure had inspired a wealth of pick-me-up cocktails like the Bloody Mary. The most widely held view states that hangovers are caused by dehydration, but there could be another reason. There is a theory that says the hangover is actually the symptom of very, very small amounts of methanol. The notion is that if a hangover is methanol toxicity, you're going to have another drink, and the ethanol displaces the methanol off the enzyme, and you will feel better. Folks, I don't know about you. Uh, I'm in the no-shit category. <laughs> Didn't everybody learn in college after that very first night of underage drinking 
tomfoolery and hijinks. You had the one professional drinking friend. Maybe he was an upper class. Maybe he was buying you beer illegally. And shots. Shot, 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 shot. And he said, hey, uh, Rep, tomorrow when you wake up, aside from your first thought of being, I want to die, grab a beer, grab some vodka, slam it down. Trust me, you'll thank me because you won't have the hangover like so many others. I got to say, take it from doctors. That guy is right. He's not a kook. Drink more. Get rid of the hangover. It's kind of like the Seinfeld episode. Have sex to save the friendship. Drink alcohol to cure the hangover. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Folks, Big Papa Smokers is the one-stop shop. Anyone interested in barbecue featuring comprehensive selection of all-American-made grill spices, sauces, accessories, even a kit that gives you everything you need to make a world-class smoker out of a 55-gallon drum. Big Papa Smokers made a name for itself by making an award-winning line of championship rubs. Their rubs have won almost every major competition barbecue event, including the 2012 and 13 World Series of Barbecue in Kansas City, the 2012 Jack Daniels Invitational, 2013 Kingsford Challenge, the 2014 Houston Livestock and Rodeo, and many more to come. Book it. BPS also has banded together with fellow California-based rub company Simply Marvelous Barbecue to form what has now become known as the most popular West Coast offense, defying conventional wisdom. These two California-based rub makers have cornered the market on competitive barbecue and begun to redefine the flavor profile that competitive cooks from across the country have begun to aim for. They've even created a couple of unique competitions, King of the Smoker, which of course brings the best of the best in the world of barbecue in a head-to-head back-to-basics-style competition. King of the Smoker is unique in that contestants may not use any electric devices such as pellet cookers or pit miners. Contestants just allowed to use charcoal, wood, and their wits to win one of the most high-stakes barbecue competitions around. And then, conversely, the competition that Big Papa Smokers has started known as the Guinea Pig, which is a cause-controlled event that helps bring in newcomers to the world of barbecue. Also features prize distribution all the way down to 10th place in each category, which helps provide incentive for new competitors to get in the world of barbecue. And on top of all of that, Big Papa's created a unique brand ambassador program called the BPS Elite Team, featuring 15 of the best competition teams in the country working together to promote camaraderie, competition barbecue, and to benefit children's charities across the United States. Keep in mind, BPS doing all this within the four years of its being in existence, turning the competition barbecue world on its head, creating their own unique competitions, becoming a staple of a nationwide restaurant chain, and benefiting children's charities across this great land of ours. It's just the beginning for Big Papa Smokers, uh, Sterling Ball, the gang out there. Appreciate their sponsorship of this show. Sterling's set to be on here in just a few short weeks, by the way. So we'll look forward to talking with him. BigPapaSmokers.com. That's BigPapaSmokers.com. And we are back with CB. Stick around. We'll be right back. Live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. 
Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back to 162200966. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. This portion of the Barbecue Central Show being brought to you by Sam's Club National Barbecue Tour. That's right, 31 cities, 500 grand in cash to be won, plus eternal bragging rights. If you win the whole damn thing, the next Sam's event will be this coming Saturday in the Commonwealth of Richmond, Virginia. That is the regional final that will send the top 10 teams into the national final in Bentonville, Arkansas. That'll take place on September 27th. To keep up with the tour, visit kcbs.us slash Tour. All right, joining me now, someone who appears on the show every so often, talking about hot topics, pun intended, in the uh, industry, has uh, worked for some of the biggest names uh, in the industry, and is a creator of the website Welcome to the Cookout. And tonight he joins me to talk about a subject that will be really kicking into high gear very soon, if it hasn't already. That, of course, the art and sport of tailgating. So let's head on over to the hotline and welcome back, friend of the show. It's uh, CB, Barry Martin. Barry, how are you, buddy? Hey, Greg. Happy, uh, whatever it is, almost National Bacon Day. That comes up on the 30th. Did you oh, know that? No, I didn't. Uh-oh. Well, look at this. Hold on a second. I've completely screwed up your picture here, Barry. I apologize. Let me know you are. Possibly is me. Well, you know? no, it's actually, uh, while I see where you're going with that, no, no, it's my uh, non-prowess of the uh, high-tech stuff here. Uh, Barry, you've, yes, bring, you, you've brought up a tremendous topic with this uh, National Bacon Day, that being bacon. Yes. I mean, have we had enough of bacon already for crying out loud? Are we over baconed as a population? Well, I think I think it's it's kind of silly that everybody puts it on everything and says it makes it better. It's a wonderful food item used well, used appropriately, used in, you know, moderation. Who who doesn't enjoy it? Well, there are a few people, but they're not so's. But, you know, it's, it's a great thing. But I think the idea of having bacon and everything is a little bit crazy and silly. Yeah. Well, it seems to, so here's my thought on that. Like, you know, like you said, in moderation or, you know, this or that, it's one thing. But all of a sudden, it seemed to find its way into mayonnaise. Yeah, 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 yeah. I met those guys, by the way. Lip and it balm. didn't taste like bacon. I, I was actually a big fan of Bacon Ace. The guys over at Bacon Salt, Lefko and the gang, yeah, I mean, uh, I thought the product was good, but it just seemed like, especially over the last two years, if you could stick bacon anywhere, uh, they were doing it. And they, I mean, you know, the public and people trying to make money off of bacon. I, I have, uh, somebody gave me bacon frosting for cupcakes. It was the worst thing I ever tasted. Bacon, fr- bacon lip balm I saw at the Justice Clothing Store for Girls. Why not just rub bacon grease on your lips? That's what I'm talking about. That's Cheaper, In fact, healthy. I've got wife a little yeah. thing of bacon just to put behind her ear when she wants to be, you know, hubba hubba, and I feel much better about things. Now I, mean, I know. It's no uh, Q cologne. <laughs> Ooh, boy. Well, in any way, um, it's National Bacon Day. Last year, as a joke, we did a poetry contract contest on Welcome to the Cookout and got some hilarious, hilarious responses. And so this year uh, we decided to do it again, and we'll give away some prizes. I have no idea what they'll be, uh, because who cares? It's a prize, and you won. And last year, uh, a delightful person, uh, 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 what was her name? Let me look it up here, um, won. She was a hoot. Uh, Marilyn Baker Mager. Oh, she Marilyn Mayer, friend of the show. Wonderful lady. Oh, hot sauce she, she won. 
She won the bacon frosting. I gave it to her because I thought it tasted terrible and she was happy as a clam. Her poem last year was bacon is good. Bacon is great. Bacon is better than chocolate cake. Uh oh, I think that pretty much tells you the, the caliber of poetry yes. that was submitted. But uh, over at Welcome to the Cookout, we're having some fun with our poetry contest again this year. So you're welcome to uh, to enter it just as a hoot. Uh, welcome to the cookout.com, correct? Indeed, indeed. And in fact, there have been some changes there. When you get there, you will see there's a new, there's a new lineup and they're offering a whole bunch of tailgating recipes. I have uh, uh, somebody you know, good person, Robin Lindars, Grill Girl, is now uh, part of Welcome to the Cookout. Scott Thomas of Grill and Fools is now part of Welcome to the Cookout. Our good friend uh, Chris Grove of Nibble Me This is now part of Welcome to the Cookout. We have, uh, I think, somebody who's just a fabulous cook and going to be a star. Uh, her name is Keita Roberts. She is girl carnivore. She's part of Welcome <laughs> to the Cookout. And I don't know if you've spoken with Julie Reinhardt. Oh, sure. Years ago, Barry. She's an old yeah. friend. Yeah, she's a good lady. She's part of it. And Lene Beth Oxley, who you know yep. well. Sugars, yep, yep is our barbecue consultant. So she'll, uh, she'll, she doesn't write, she doesn't post, she doesn't take pictures, she just cooks, she doesn't mess around. And uh, she's going to wade in once in a while with some commentary and, and we'll be taking care of that. And we're going to be adding a few more people. So Welcome to the Cookout is going to be a welcoming place. You're welcome to be there. We'd love to feature uh, your show there too. It's a place for people to come and find resources Nice folks. Yeah. So thank you for letting me pro, uh, uh, pitch that. A, a resource, not snobbery, ah. not it's all about competition or do this or do that ah. or you ah. suck. It's uh, everybody's welcome. Get in the smoke, ah. right? Answer questions. Everybody's a nice person. And our goal is to help people just be better cooks. Then they can go off and do whatever they want with it. But there are a lot of basic questions that people are afraid to ask. And what, you know, so this week we're doing a whole bunch of tailgating recipes. And Robin Lindars, who, who is no goofball when it comes to cooking. I mean, wasn't she on the Today Show recently? Debatable. <laughs> but uh, uh, she, uh, she, her recipe this week is s'mores. Did you know s'mores? Are the number one dessert cooked over barbecues? No, I figured it may be peaches or perhaps yeah, even me pineapple. Too. No, s'mores. It's like backyard barbecue yeah. s'mores. Well, that makes Perfect sense. For tailgating. Scott Thomas shares a whole bunch of stuff about staygating. Have you ever done any staygating? No. Is that where you uh, tailgate in your backyard while you're watching <laughs> a game? TV outside. You sit around watching oh. when, you're, when your team's away from home. So uh, tailgating is a lot of fun. I, here in Seattle, I lived on the water and uh, in a floating home. People call them houseboats, but it was a little shack on logs, kind of like uh, Sleepless in Seattle. And I lived just about a quarter mile or so from the University of Washington uh, uh, Husky Stadium. And their claim to fame for tailgating, unlike any place else that I'm aware of, is hundreds of boats raft up right outside the stadium, and you tailgate on the aft of boats and on rafts. Wow. And I take my little uh, Zodiac over there with a six-pack of beer, and I'd find somebody who wanted to let me climb on board, and we'd, we'd eat. And that was kind of a fun tailgating. That, wh what kind of tailgating, I wonder, your listeners do? Well, uh, this listener goes down to the Muni lot downtown Cleveland when the Browns are getting ready, and we throw down like champions because yeah. Lord knows we don't show up on the field. So it's allowed. See, some of the some of the big cities don't allow it anymore. Oh yeah, Muni lot uh, for generations, nice. fifty and sixty years. It's just yeah. you know you're driving down to the uh, the barbecue capital of the North Coast, yeah. Cleveland, and then there's this just large surface lot off the highway. 
yeah. two, three hundred yards in length and in width, um, which is mostly used during the day for uh, commuters to get into the city and uh, through our large medical campuses. But on a sun on a Sunday in Lake Erie, um, <laughs> this place turns into uh, really a uh, loony bin. But perhaps even more than that, a uh, a a gourmet for the backyard chef, uh, buses, barbecues, grills. Yeah. I mean, and it's uh, you know Cleveland is more of a a niche city in the fact that you can go to, to this portion of the city and you're going to get this kind of ethnicity and you can go to this portion of the city and get a completely different kind. It's not just, you know, one style. You're going to get 15 or, or 20 different ethnicities uh, ethnicities in there and, and regions and styles of cooking. And uh, if you can get in there and get out alive, it's uh, probably one of the best tailgates that you can actually get into in the entire NFL or perhaps even collegiate seasons. Well, you know, uh, uh, one of the fellows on Facebook, Midnight Oil Steve Ray, yeah. uh, was a big fan and, and of you guys and everybody else. He said that the best tailgate venues, in his opinion, are Ole Miss, Alabama, Tennessee, Fandy, and uh, Florida. And I, that speaks to where maybe his geographical presence. Yeah, the Southeastern Conference. Uh, just a little <laughs> bit. I think that's what he's talking about. Now, uh, I haven't been to, a, to an Oakland Raiders uh, tailgating party when they were in LA and I was living there I used to go to their tailgating parties and they would get a little dicey but a lot of fun a lot of craziness and what you spoke to something that was interesting and I think it's a great thing about outdoor cooking that we often forget because those of us who I don't compete but I pay attention to the competition circuit you know you're very focused on what you're doing everybody talks brisket everybody talks butt everybody talks ribs everybody talks chicken and that's what they focus 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 yeah you go to a tailgating event and there are kind of all kinds of foods being cooked outdoors on grills, on cookers, on amazing things. And it's so much fun. That's the joy of outdoor cooking, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, Barry. And uh, by the way, we're talking with Barry Martin. Welcome to thecookout.com is his website. Uh, you can also call him CB if you want. That's his handle <laughs> out there on the worldwide internets. Um, you know, as, as far as tailgating is concerned, you know, do you have... Uh, suggestions that you know either you've learned through trade and through experience yes. or perhaps from uh, listeners that you think are important things that people want to consider when getting into the tailgate season here well you know i think i think people who have tailgated a lot and do it all the time have a list and so they they do the checklist they know what their equipment is they know they've got all the wipes all the cleanup they know they've got the extra ice they got the extra they've got the list so having a list of what you're supposed to take and then an assignment of who's supposed to bring what knowing who's your backup, because people forget. But one of the most important things, and I see this sometimes, it makes me nervous, is both the safety when you're dealing with some kind of fire, right? Uh, I, I, I always carry my barbecue bucket, which is, you know, I just put a tool thing around a, a, one of those Home Depot buckets. Yep. Um, I always carry a fire extinguisher. You're dealing with fire, you're dealing with, you never know. And it's a good thing to have and some kind of little first aid kit. But safety, food safety, keeping things cold enough and keeping things warm enough. Those are the big mistakes I see. And that'll ruin a tailgate party. That'll ruin somebody's weekend big time if they pick up a little bug from the food that hasn't been handled safely. Or, you know, if there's an injury and nobody wants an injury. But we, people get lax when it comes to food safety. Here's, uh, here's another thing I'm going to throw into that because of the, the food safety stuff. Uh, especially in a in a tailgating situation, and obviously uh, for the untrained competition person, this could happen easily at a competition as well. But since we're talking about tailgating, 
the potential of cross-contamination. So let's say uh, you have your chicken and whatever in a cooler, but it's full of ice. You break it all out. You cook it all down, and uh, I need somewhere to put this extra beer. So you jam it in there with the cooler that just had the chicken in it, and now Timmy the drunk grabs one out of the ice bucket, and now he's got food poisoning. Right. And so the whole notion of food safety and people just, you know, they get they get lax and they think I've been doing this for years. And and that's it's just something that's very important. So I won't tell anybody how to tailgate. But those are the two things. Have a list of all your equipment. Have a list of all your stuff and prep as much stuff as possible. I've seen some guys who bring a full kitchen and they've got the big RV and stuff and they can do that. But otherwise, you know, it's prep it. and, And then the food safety issue of how to pack and how to keep things warm and how to keep things cool. Most important things, don't you think? Safety is key. I agree with everything you just said. Now, as far as getting this stuff prepared and ready to eat, you have, you know, what has now become a veritable cornucopia of cookers to choose from to, you know, throwaways to, you know, the big uh, models that you're going to see on uh, toes and hitches and then everything in between. Uh, Through your time working with some of the major manufacturers, uh, being out on trails and seeing all these different kind of cookers, do you see ones that you would suggest or uh, ones that you think might fit, you know, in, in better regions or, or styles than others? Well, it depends on what you like to cook. That's always the big question, right. what you like to cook at your house or what, like, what you like to bring. Um, you know, if you like to grill a lot, you I think you're a fan of Brad, but I, I just recommend to everyone I possibly can grill grates. They fit on your charcoal. They can, they, you can take them and put them on somebody else's grill and move them around, and you're going to grill beautiful steaks, burgers, the whole nine yards. So I'm a big fan of grill gates. I don't get paid by them. I buy them just like everybody else, and I think they're a great product. There are a couple of smaller ones. I haven't had a chance to use the little tabletop Traeger, but some of my friends have used it, the little smoker that seems to work real well. Some guys like to bring, I personally have a charcoal jumbo joe it's the 18 inch kettle that's portable you've seen it i love it i think it's a great product i can do just about anything i want on it i can't cook a big turkey but i can do a chicken and burgers and steaks it's a great charcoal product and speaking of charcoal products i think you got him on is he on later uh dave Uh, uh, he'll be on next week i had uh, kind of a brain fart Uh, and dave had to suffer through that but we're going to make up for it by giving him a big segment next week because i'm uh, stupid benjamin has been you know He's a tailgater, and he developed a product, and he is a startup guy, and he is working his tail off trying to make it happen. I've helped him out a little bit, but, man, he has just got full of energy in trying to make his hot box grill. I cook on it here at home. It's very portable, uh, but it's a heavy-duty uh, product. That, that's a great charcoal grill. And then uh, there are a couple of really nice little portable gas grills. One of my favorites, uh, I used to work for these guys. I don't work for them anymore. But the Charbroil Big Easy Smoker Roaster Grill, the propane model, man, I can roast a turkey in that, about an 18-pound turkey in about uh, 90 minutes to a, to a little bit over, an, uh, almost two hours. Beautiful. I can do beer can chickens. I can do ribs. I can do wings. Um, I can grill on it. So that's semi-portable, and that's a propane grill. But, you know, these are all personal, don't you think? Everybody's got their own favorite, and I don't want to uh, try to tell. And there's some wonderful small products made out there by by uh, that are perfect to throw into the back of your car. But this is the other thing having to do with safety, right? Is how many times you've seen a guy not finish letting his briquettes cool off before mm-hmm. he puts that in the back of his rig and goes flying down the freeway with briquettes and sparks and stuff. 
just silly, but potentially dangerous. Yeah, got to make sure that the fire is extinguished properly. Yeah. If you have, yeah. you know, a separate ash can that you can uh, do that with, yeah. you know, you might want to think about doing that. You know, to part me, safety, part of that safety, part about, you know, just thinking ahead, not letting the beers get to you. That's tough in a certain situation. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I would want to go and be as uh, portable, but as big as I could go. So, you know, Being something tough. like uh, a hot box or, or perhaps multiple of those allows you some flexibility. You can break sure. it down. And if you don't have the big vans and the, the uh, motor homes and all this other stuff, uh, maybe you got a pickup truck or a, an SUV or something like that. And it's easy to, to use, set up, and then break back down once you're done. Well, you know, this this goes against somebody who are traditionalists, but a lot of guys will smoke their ribs. They'll have them ready. They'll put them in the cooler, keep them cool, right. then bring them and finish them on the grill. And, you know, because who has time? Well, unless you get there, you know, real early in the morning. But uh, and some people do. God oh, bless yeah. them. It's fun when you see a great, you know, somebody who's been there all night. Uh, but, but usually they're wasted and can't make it to the game. <laughs> and then they've wasted a whole lot of money for nothing. Um, I, I, I think probably more people stay gate these days. You know, they're, they've got the big screens. They can put them in their in their man cave out in the garage or put it in their window. And I don't know how they do it. But yep. but I've seen a lot more people gathering around to do that. And that's, that's always a lot of fun. So I'm a big fan of that. And that's what Scott Thomas of grilling fools has a big story on welcome to the cookout that talks about that. It's kind of fun, kind of silly, kind of fun. Do you have like a go-to recipes that you like to, to do, whether you're stay gating or whether you are actually at a, at a sporting event and tailgating? Well, it depends on who's going to be there. If it's all guys, then I'm going to bring mostly, uh, you know, uh, ribs that I pre-smoked and just finish them off. I might bring some pulled pork that I've got chilled down and put in a crock pot if we've got a generator or put it in a Dutch oven. If we've got a, some kind of fire, I can put it on it just to warm it up and finish it up. Uh, one of the things that we like to do, of course, always is beef, but man, beef prices are getting crazy. Oh, yeah. So we do have some uh, a local butcher I go to here where I live who grinds the beef right for me from the trimmings, from all the primal cuts, real good quality. I always pre-make the burgers and uh, and I freeze them because I find that they'll cook well or cook the way I want them on the grill. Uh, and if they're frozen, uh, it's not, not a problem to put a frozen uh, burger on the grill. Th- there's this trend, and maybe you or some of you, you've talked about it, uh, uh, this idea of putting frozen steaks on the grill. Uh, I, I, I haven't tried that. Have you tried that? No, I've never heard of it. Sounds yeah, it's, uh, it's, sounds it's completely that hit hit this last week where people were talking about putting frozen steaks on the grill and they actually don't shrink up they cook cook better I don't know about that and and for for everybody who's 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 got one I've done this sous vide thing yeah where you put it in the cryovac yep. you put it in the in the water bath and you cook it till about 120 degrees it's perfectly cooked put it in the cooler then finish it there. It's it's like a pre-cooked steak. It's beautiful. It's not boiled in the bag. It it, it, it turns a beautiful steak. Those are some of my go-tos because they're simple. They're easy. I can I can manage the manage the food better. Uh, one for me, and I was doing it. Uh, I was not staygating at all. I was just had some. Uh, the the oldest girl is done with the travel softball for the summer, so we actually had you know a, a two week respite of running around all of northeast Ohio. Uh, you know Saturdays and Sundays. 
And uh, we got a bunch of really big jalapenos, uh, cored them out, jammed them with uh, a mixture of cream cheese and breakfast sausage, injected them right in the middle, wrapped them with bacon, atomic buffalo turds. And, uh, you know, cook them for about 25, 30 minutes. You get a little bit of the heat out of them, wilts nice. the skin. I mean, they're so good. Everybody looks at them like, eh, and then they taste them. And they're the first ones to finish them all because they're rat bastards. Absolutely. Absolutely great stuff. You know, and I can't ignore that. Here, this is my my sponsor now, and I think they're still a sponsor of yours, oh, too. Absolutely. Healthy Hubble Mustard. I've been using their stuff as a, as a mix for meatloaf. And putting it on mm. as in place of horseradish with some of the different sandwiches and stuff. So bring along some pastrami and making it with the El Diablo. Plug, 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 plug. Um, I love the El Diablo. It's a great product. So what we did because uh, the the first we made them two days in a row. Uh, oh, the first the day, ABTs. yeah, the ABT. So we cooked them maybe a little too well. There wasn't any real heat with the jalapeno, and I said, oh. Here's the good news. So I went into the refrigerator, and I pulled out the jalapeno, uh, El Diablo mustard, and I put it all over the top of the hot bacon. It's made with real jalapenos. It's real real stuff in there. That's what I like about it. So we had uh, the the zing that we were missing on the actual pepper itself because I took them a little too far. And uh, we recaptured with the jalapeno mustard because it has the jalapeno puree. Man, it was uh, sensational. Plus, really tastes good with the hot bacon. Now, have you done the? Uh, can you take the habanero? Yeah, I'm. A, I'm kind of a you know undercover chili head. So really, yeah, yeah that's so. the habanero's way too far for me. I, I guess I'm up here in the northwest or something. I'm a lightweight when it comes to those. Can't do them. Well, it's. Uh, I think you you either got the hot stuff uh, to a certain degree or you don't. And and then there's that level where, for some reason, you just like it. Yeah, and yeah, you can't yeah. really explain it why, but you like it a little bit hotter, a little bit hotter. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we, uh, me and the wife, we like the the jalapenos or the the habanero stuff, and we'll mix it in with some other stuff to zip it up a little bit. But yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that's then going back to condiments, having the right condiments along that are right. universal, because you can't bring you can't bring you know a whole tray of everything for everybody. You've only got so much room. So having a good a good something like that, like the El Diablo or you know your own sauce or something like that, makes a lot of sense. You Back. can find out more about tailgating if you just head on over to welcome to the cookout dot com. Uh, you can interact with Barry and a whole bunch of other people out there, and uh, obviously he's uh, hoping you join in in the fun camaraderie over there. And, uh, Barry, I appreciate the time you spent tonight. We'll look for you again soon, buddy. Thank you very much. Aloha, Nui Loa. There you are. And there he is, Barry Mark. CB, as we call him here in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city. Hope you are ready for tailgate season, folks, because it's becoming fast and furious if you are not careful. That's what I know. Fast and furious. All right, uh, Mike McLeod coming up out of the break. I'm going to talk to you quickly about another way to make your tailgate happy. Butcher's Barbecue. That's right, folks. If you are looking to inject beef or pork or chicken, you can do it with Dave. He is obviously well-known for the injections, the pork, the beef, the prime injection, the bird booster. You know, no more whining and complaining about how tasteless chicken is you have a vehicle to press flavor all the way down into the meat to the bone for crying out loud with that bird booster um you can go to butcherbbq.com for more information or more importantly to order if you are looking for the rubs and the sauces friends you can live here butcher's barbecue a full line of award-winning rub sauces 
I have uh, what is now, I believe, a half pound of honey rub. Went to town on the honey rub, A, on the uh, atomic buffalo turds, on the ribs, on the uh, 24 chicken thighs I did over the weekend. Uh, I call it the North Coast offense, part honey rub and part Big Papa Smoker's uh, money rub. North Coast offense. I'm making it up. Soon to be a winning combination across backyards all over the nation. Uh, maybe you like uh, brisket. He's got a great steak and brisket rub as well. You can find it all at butchersbbq.com. Last but not least, the sweet barbecue sauce. I got two more left, and then I'm out, and then I got to reorder. Sweet barbecue sauce wins each time for me. If I don't have my own sauce, I go for few commercially made sauces, and Dave is one that I will reach for each and every time. It's got the good tang. It's got a good, some good heat. It's got no liquid smoke, which I appreciate as a human being. Uh, you got a quality sauce here. No easy way out. Grab a box of six. It's going to go fast. I'm not kidding. No worries about breaking the bank when it comes to shipping either. Items totaling up to 55 bucks. Ship at $8.50. Between 55 and 200 ship at $9.75. And anything over $200 ships for free. So here's what I'm saying. Just get $201 worth of stuff. Save on the shipping and enjoy the benefits of the injections, the rubs, the sauces. Oh, forget it. Head on over to ButcherBBQ.com. Stock up now. That's ButcherBBQ.com. And as Dave Bosco always says, trust your butcher. Always trust your butcher. It's Mike McLeod up next. Stick around. We'll be right back. Get in the smoke. Call 877-448-0433 to get on the air. Now, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, thanks again to Barry Martin for joining me this past segment. A little bit of tailgate talk, a little bit of uh, learning about what his website's all about. Welcome to cookout.com is that website again, if you're so interested. Uh, my next guest you can find at MMA Creative. You can find him kind of right at the tail end of these uh, World Food Championship TV shows that you are watching on the TV on the uh, FYI Network, Thursdays at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And a friend of this show, let's go ahead and welcome back Mike McLeod. Uh, Mike, how are you? I'm good, Greg. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fabulous, Mike. Appreciate you asking. And as always, appreciate the time that you give to the show. And a couple different places that we can go to tonight. I know last time we were on, we just kind of uh, ran out of time with the good stuff. And uh, some things uh, still that we could uh, talk about, especially in regards to the TV show. Um, for those that uh, were living under the proverbial cooking rack, uh, the World Food Championships on TV had six one-hour episodes. They're airing uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursdays. You know, as you see the, the season kind of get down the line here, Mike, and you're watching finished product after finished product, obviously you have a big hand in this. Um, you know, but if, if you can remove uh, the businessman, Mike McLeod, from uh, the person just watching it, you know, how do you, how do you watch them? How do you think that they're coming out, and, and what are your reactions to the finished products that you're seeing on the television? You know, it's, it's tough to see it and um, be in the position that I am because you, you always second-guess or you always uh, think about things that are not shown that you, that you saw in the moment and uh, that you wish could be told. So 
as a, um, <laughs> I've been a, a lifelong writer and editor um, with journalism training. One of the things that I hate doing is going back and, and reading content that I've written from years back or even months back. And it's hard, to be honest with you, it's hard as a, it's hard from a promoter standpoint to to watch a show and and see everything that 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 is televised and not think about things that should have been televised televised. So um, I'm probably one of the toughest critics of the show that um, that there could be. Uh, I I am tickled to death for the people that are that are on TV as a result of of what we were able to pull off and FYI produced. Uh, but by the same token, I know, I know a hundred other things that occurred or, or a hundred of the people and stories that should have been told that, uh, I can't think of. So it's, uh, it's a mixed blessing. It's, um, it's, it's good. And it's uh, tough at the same time. I have to tell you, Mike, because, uh, that was, uh, a little bit more uh, self-critical than I thought it was going to be. Uh, the show is good. I mean, I, I, you you look at it obviously from a, a much more different perspective than anybody else is going to look at it. But as I watch the shows and uh, and see, uh, you know, you get a different angle because you know who I guess you know all the other things that aren't making it on television, as you said. But as from somebody that's just watching it and consuming it like any other television show, not knowing what else was going around. Uh, the stories that you are telling or, or the people that make it to camera, I think, are compelling. And uh, maybe they don't always make it to the final table or they're not winning. And I don't even know if that was you know, the hope in who you're following is, you know, your best guess that, you know, hopefully they make it into the, to the next round or what have you. But uh, to me, a TV show was always more about uh, being a, in this kind of a setting is more about trying to build uh, some type of an emotional investment into the people that you're following uh, during that particular show. And I think in each instance, uh, to the best of your ability, you've done uh, a good job with that successfully. Is it a, is it kind of a shot in the dark with who you're going to be following around and, and who you decide to, to put on the television? The things that I've learned about TV in the last year are remarkable. <laughs> and um, the what I have learned is that you know, TV loves drama. Uh, what makes a great show is is people that um, you you build a relationship with um, beforehand, and then regardless of results, you you hope and you root for them, and whether they win or not, you you have some compassion for them, or or your your um, you share in their glory. So yes, I, I think by design, some of some of what you see is um, the best guess of TV uh, producers uh, going into the championship as to who would win, who would not win, and trying to share a little bit of both sides of that coin because it makes for a great story. So um, uh, I appreciate your comments that that it was done well. I, I do think that the producers did a good job of telling the story. I, I have heard from barbecue people um, that the barbecue show, the barbecue edition that, that was aired uh, toward the end of the series was one of the better representations of any barbecue contest or any barbecue program that's ever 
um, been aired on TV. It's not fabricated. It's real. It's a competition. And you see the sweat, the blood, the tears. You, you see the winners, the losers. So it was a good representation of that. I'm very proud of that. Very, very happy um, that that was captured and very happy that the people that were shown that in that episode uh, got the limelight that they did. Um, the only thing that I think about are, are all the stories that, like, like I said earlier, just couldn't be told in 42, 43, 44 minutes. Um, you know, TV has a very finite period of time. And uh, we live in a championship or a barbecue event. We live through a weekend. And there's so much that, that occurs, uh, you just can't capture it all on TV. And that's the unfortunate thing. So that's, that's why I'm critical. Uh, it's not that I'm not happy. I am tickled to death that the World Food Championships in, in uh, season two was aired on, on TV and six episodes. We're in negotiations right now for a season two uh, that would, sh- would uh, share and air the uh, third World Food Championships. We are in deep discussions on whether or not that should be on FYI, which is turning into a, uh, a very extreme lifestyle channel versus a cooking channel. Uh, so we're, we're, we're dealing with a lot of ifs, ands, or buts right now. No pun intended on the buts part. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting times. We, we are very fortunate and very happy and very, uh, obligated and humbled to, to be in a position that we are to further food sport as we can through, through the World Food Championships in Las Vegas, through our super regionals that we're launching this year and through TV as consumers can watch it and experience it. So um, it's, um, like I said before, it's a very, very interesting moment in our careers at MMA Creative. Mike McLeod is my guest talking about the World Food Championships. Uh, Mike, in regards to the upcoming uh, third World Food Championships, there are some uh, expansions of uh, the WFC that were uh, that are occurring. Um, for the folks that aren't aware, maybe you could, uh, you know, expound a little bit on that uh, and exactly what has changed from, uh, you know, one uh, season, if you will, to the next. Thank you. Um, a couple of things that are significant. Number one, we've we've upped the grand prize uh, um, purse. So the winner of the World Food Championships in 2014 will take home a, a check for $100,000. Wow. About 50, 50 grand. So we are fast becoming the biggest and most rewarding food competition that exists, especially in, in one weekend. Uh, that's number one. Number two, we expanded the categories from seven to nine. Uh, we added cheese and we added seafood this year as our eighth and ninth categories. Um, so we're, we're excited to be bringing more people into the fold, into a uh, what we consider Olympics of food or Super Bowl of food. Number three, we've we've added super regionals. Uh, we have the Scottsdale Sizzling Showdown, and we have the Music City Cookoff, and uh, the Illinois Showdown occurring at the um, Murfreesboro Barbecue Cookoff. All three of those promise to be very exciting moments uh, for the for the championship because we're we're giving people a chance to uh, to, to prove their mettle to to win some money and earn their way into the championship like they never could before. Uh, prior to this moment, you had to you had to win a designated automatic qualifier yep. or preferred qualifier to get into the World Food Championship. And now you can be one of top 
uh, of the top 10 finishing group at one of the super, super regionals. So whether it's in Scottsdale uh, or Murfreesboro or Nashville, uh, all you have to do is compete in one category. You have to deliver on one super dish, whether it's a cheese or a seafood or a, a dessert dish, and uh, be in the top three out of 20 people in that category, and you can earn your way to the uh, to the championship. So we're we're very excited about creating those those funneling systems into the, um, the championship and uh, are eager to see how that works and, and see if we can expand on that in 2015. I was going to say, you know, as you look forward, uh, assuming the Super Regionals go off without a hitch, which I'm sure they will, uh, you know, how do you envision the World Food Championships, let's say, and you're a big picture guy. I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're wildly successful in everything that you touch. Um, but how do you see this particular event looking, you know, three and four years from now? I think it's going to be the biggest food extravaganza uh, that you you can imagine. I believe, just like the Super Bowl, that we're going to have a a food experience uh, relevant uh, to the NFL experience at Super Bowl. I believe we're going to have 20 categories. I think we're going to um, span across 10 days and two weekends. <laughs> I, I think that we're going to have a million-dollar prize purse. I think that uh, every major food company that that any of us can point to is going to be integrated somehow, some way, whether they're throwing a VIP party for distributors and sales reps or if they're integrated into the championship and doing a special challenge, um, much like uh, the um, uh, U.S. Potato Board or the, um, uh, the Alaska Seafood Challenge. We, we're going to... We're going to find ways to bring food brands into activation and reward food fans and food competitors like never before. So instead of Kellogg's being on the hood of a NASCAR, um, I think they're going to find a way to be integrated into the to the Super Bowl of food, uh, which will be the World Food Championships. I, that's what I see happening in the next three to five years. Do you see, uh, this isn't a question that I had uh, outlined to ask, but since you brought it up, um, I've gotten to know the, the NASCAR community uh, a lot more intimately than I ever thought I would with the day job. Um, do you think or do you foresee, uh, look, I mean, the barbecue guys want to make money. Uh, people in general want to make money. If you're good at the World Food Championships, whatever category you're good at or proficient at, do you see, you know, X, Y, and Z company coming up to, you know, Johnny the Cheese Man or Sally the Seafood Cook and, you know, adorn them with the gear and uh, perhaps sponsor them to, to go out and cook X number of uh, competitions during the course of the year and, and we're going to give you this amount of money to do it, uh, almost like a, a NASCAR type of a sponsorship then? Absolutely. It's already happening. There's three companies wow. that I can mention immediately. Uh, Bull Outdoor Products, uh, Goo Goo Cluster, Challenge Butter. Those companies are, um, and initiatives are already sponsoring teams to to get their way into the championship and will be branded up uh, when those uh, competitors are at the championship. So they'll have T-shirts and hats that have those logos on them. Uh, we're, we're beginning to see early adopters grab it while, they, while it's very affordable. And then one day you're going to see Coca-Cola, you're going to see um, uh, Kingsford and Casey Masterpiece and ConAgra and 
all those other big brands that are spending gazillions of dollars in NASCAR, you're going to see them levitate toward uh, the food professional, uh, the the Rod Grays, the Mike Davises, the the Donnie Brays of the world, the Leon Whitmans of the world. They're going to start aligning with them because they are seen either in competition and they're successful there, or they're seen on TV because of their success and because of their restaurants. Um, they're going to want to start aligning with people that that uh, your regular American cooks can resonate with uh, versus the, I don't, I, won't, I don't want anything from Jeff Gordon or Dale Earnhardt Jr., but um, you and I will never, ever, ever, no matter how good we drive, get on a NASCAR track with, with Dale Jr. No. Or with Jeff Gordon. You and I will never get on the 50-yard field goal line uh, with Peyton Manning. But you and I, it, through a sponsorship or through something like the World Food Championships, can get on the stage and be side-by-side with Guy Fieri or with Bobby Flay or Rachel Ray. Yeah. We can take them on in a throwdown just through a sponsored program. So we have a very unique aspirational platform that uh, once corporations and their marketing strategists wake up to to what the uh, leverageable ask, asset is, once they wake up to it, um, it's going to happen. It's going to explode. So we're, we're just we're right there in front of it. We hope that we're not too early. We hope that the timing is just right. And um, we're trying to make it happen. We're trying to make sure that the um, the rising tide is good for everyone's boat. Mike McLeod, uh, MMA creative, also creator of the World Food Championships, is my guest. Uh, Mike, are the uh, the show like the the show itself, uh, World Food Championships? Uh, this will be on uh, replay uh, on and on that, that you're aware of, or is there some specific cutoff date where they will stop airing this past season? You know, I. I um... I, I, I don't. I'm not a TV producer. I play one on TV occasionally. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I don't know what their ultimate plans are. I think that you will see the World Food Championship season one um, for some time to come until season two occurs. Uh, so it could be in in rerun mode for for quite some time, and it may be in rerun mode for in perpetuity. Uh, certain episodes of it, because we know that certain episodes of the six did extremely well, and some didn't do so well. Uh, so it doesn't. It wouldn't surprise me to see two or three of the episodes uh, be running a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, um, even even long after season two occurs. So um, I can't answer for for TV. I can't speak on behalf of any networks, but. Um, I see what happens on other networks, and and I think uh, with a new channel like FYI, is, I, I think content is very important. So they they have uh, six one-hour episodes of hours that they can do anything they want to with. He is Mike McLeod, the uh, president and CEO of MMA Creative, also the creator of the World Food Championships. Uh, Mike, always appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it, Greg. I hope you have a great evening. Thanks for having me on. You got it. There he is. Mike McLeod. Uh, I didn't want to brag to Mike, but him or I, and it wasn't him, was on Rick Hendricks G5 over the weekend. Yeah, bitch.
<laughs> yeah. That's a plane I want to get into. I'm short 40 mil. Anybody want to pony up? Yeah. If you've never been on a G5, in the words of Ferris Bueller, I highly recommend it. G5. That's right. Uh, Folks, a public service announcement from my friend Stephen DeFranco, barbecue jeweler to the stars. True story. He has my watch for battery repair. He is repairing my wife's engagement ring that I got her. And resetting some of her diamel earrings that I had purchased for her as well. Steven doing it all for me. I trust him. You should trust him. You can go on his website, stephendefranco.com. That's D-I-F-R-A-N-C-O. Or better yet, give him a call directly, 440-943-2700. Peruse the website, see what you like, give him a call. Say, Steve, hey, well, ask for Steve first. Then say, Steve, I, I heard that I need to say I'm a barbecue brother or sister. He'll give you the real discounted price. Forget about that other crap. Don't worry about it. He's going to give you the real price, the barbecue brother, sister hookup. StephenDeFranco.com, 440-943-2700. Watches, gold chains, anklets, bracelets, diamond earrings, diamond rings, the engagement and wedding ring superstore. Tell Big Steve I sent you. He'll hook it up. All right, we're back to wrap the first hour like in seconds. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, we are literally wrapping it. Oh, crap. We are uh, wrapping it up right now. Well, we're loading for the ribs roundtable, folks. You've waited for it. You're going to get it in about 25 seconds. Stick around for the competition ribs roundtable. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Chad Hayden with Moose Riders Barbecue, the 19th annual Jack Daniels World Barbecue Champion, and this is Barbecue Central. From my heart and from my head, why don't people understand my intention? Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Fine, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> You have a great show. I'm a big fan. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono, it's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? He ate fifty four wieners. Oh, listen, Laverne, you shake your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seeds. <laughs> we have top men working right now. Ooh. Top. All right, just like that, we are into the second hour. Do you know what that means? It's a competition rims roundtable, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Um, This is the third installment of the competition roundtable for 2014. Tonight, we are covering ribs with the top three rib cooks in the country. Joining me tonight, Drew McNatt from Hogtide Barbecue, currently ranked number one in the KCBS for ribs. Scott Smith 
from Kewen, Stewin, and Bruin. Currently ranked number two in KCBS for ribs. And Dana Hillis from Big Papa's Country Kitchen, who finished first overall in ribs for the 2014 season in the Florida Barbecue Association. Gentlemen, appreciate you uh, taking the time out and joining me for Rib Talk tonight. Uh, before we get started into the pre-cook whatnot, um, let me uh, go down the dais here and uh, see what everybody's cooking on. Let's go ahead and uh, start with Scott Smith. What is it you want to know? Uh, what you're cooking on there, Scott. Uh, Southern Q500, a water cooker. A water cooker. Um, when you would started, Scott, had you uh, cooked on uh, different cookers and eventually uh, progressed into this, or is this something you just had started with and, and stuck with? Something I started with and uh, stayed with. I've been on water cooker my whole career. Uh, Drew McNatt, what are you cooking on, buddy? I cook on a J3 Jambo. J3 Jambo. All right. Uh, typically, a Jambo is something you might graduate into. Is that a cooker that you started with right off the top, or is this something you worked into over time? No, I started off with a, a dual-axle Brinkman smoker uh, when I first started out. About four years ago, we moved to the Jambo. And uh, last but not least, Dana Hillis. What are you cooking on, buddy? Man, I've got a collection of cookers. I've, um, I've been with a Fast Eddie for a long time. I've always got a Fast Eddie on my trailer, and I've played around. I just got a brand-new Metal Creek BX50, and I've cooked with it the last three contests and actually won my first grand champion on it last week. So, uh, is, that, um, is that a pellet cooker or is that a stick burner? Um, it's a charcoal. Um, it's a, got a big basket in the bottom. Yep. It cooks charcoal and you put your wood chunks in it. Do you use... It's a, it's a, water, it's a water cooker also. It comes. It's a brand new cooker. They've just come out with it a short time ago and I managed to get my hands on one and I kind of like it. Uh, is that something that you would use uh, any type of a, a pit temperature control device with or you just uh, run it as is? Um, it's got a port built into it for a um, guru. You use it without one. Um, I'm getting pretty familiar in it, but I, I do like the guru and the temperature control. Um, Scott, let me go back to you real quick. Um, obviously, we're going to be talking about pork ribs here uh, for the balance of the evening, but uh, before we get into that, have you ever eaten any kind of exotic rib that is not pork that you care for? An exotic rib? That's, no, I've never ate an exotic rib in already. Nothing like a, like a, a lamb rib or fish rib or anything like that? <laughs> we had fish ribs that were good one time. Somewhere in Arkansas, I was at a cop, and a guy cooked a bunch of, I don't remember, they called them bull ribs, cat, I don't know if it's carp or catfish or what, but they were pretty neat. Yes, I did. Uh, Drew, anything uh, exotic as far as uh, ribs are concerned that you've uh, gotten into? Uh, you know, I have enough problems with just cooking pork ribs, so so no. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Does beef ribs count? <laughs> hey, uh, not pork. So um, depending on how, I mean, you can get those things huge, right? The the, the dino bones. No, nah, we've never gone big with them, but just normal size. Uh, you know, get a Sam's Club and you know put them in the smoker and cook them up. Uh, Dana, any uh, exotic ribs that you've had that aren't necessarily pork? Um, we've played with the beef ribs and the short ribs, and uh, we do that quite a bit. All right. Um, let me ask you something. Since you guys are uh, competition cooks, um, maybe a, a year or so ago, there was, uh, whether it was internet banter or not, um, wanted to get your take on it. Um, do you think, as far as cookers are concerned, uh, you have 
pellet cookers that really don't require any type of, of skill or fire management, if you will. You have uh, cookers uh, that uh, can be stoked with the automatic temperature control devices. Do you think at this point in the competition scene, uh, you should just open it up and allow propane, electric cookers, what have you, and uh, and maybe see an influx of competitors, or should it still you know, kind of stay as is? Scott, let me uh, defer to you first for that. I would be totally open to anything. I mean, gas, propane, electric, that wouldn't bother me, but um, I think as far as a competitive standpoint to get the product that probably the three guys you're talking to it, is just not going to be done with without some type of fire management. I would say I, I run a fire with no gurus, no no assist whatsoever. I run a basically a stick mounting fire below a water tank. Uh, Drew, would you have any issue uh, opening up the the competition gates and allowing propane, electric, what have you? Well, I think there's a, a significant difference between um, cooking on something like an FE where it's still um, you know, you have the elements that, um, you know, electricity could go out. Um, you know, you still have to check it and so forth versus propane and gas. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I do own an FE. Um, I'll cook on it from time to time, not in competitions. But, um, you know, I've got a lot of friends that use FEs out there, and it still takes a skill to use those. Um, so at the end of the day, it's the cook, not the cooker, that's going to make the product. Um, but I'm I'm happy with the way it is right now, and you know I'd like to see it just stay the way it is. Uh, Dana, uh, would you have any issue uh, seeing propane cookers uh, or full electric like the the smokeettes from Cook Shack uh, being allowed in a uh, competition scene? I wouldn't have a problem with it. Um, I don't think you're going to get the flavor on a gas grill unless you you know you're going to have to tweak something or do something. You know, these judges are spoiled out there. They're used to wood and charcoal, and, and I, I think they'd have a hard time replacing that flavor. But, no, it wouldn't bother me at all. Um, you know, it's a fair playing field, I think, with whatever you got. All right, so a pretty open panel here tonight. We're talking with uh, Scott Smith, uh, Q and Stew and Brewing, Drew McNatt, Hogtide Barbecue, and Dana Hillis, Big Papa's Country Kitchen. Uh, gentlemen, let me uh, have you relax just for about three minutes here, and then we'll get into the prep stuff here as far as the ribs are concerned. But first, let me talk to the Centralites about El Diablo Mustard. Uh, look, gang, we are in the height of grilling season. El Diablo Mustard wants to turn your ordinary barbecue into some of the hottest stuff on earth. How about trying to add some El Diablo's fiery habanero or roasted chipotle, a flaming jalapeno or spicy mango into your sauce, marinades or rubs. It'll give it that new flavor kick that's hot and intense. Perhaps you're missing uh, that you would otherwise not know. El Diablo features six bold flavors. They taste great. They're hot as hell. Try mango for island heat on your meat. You can add a kick of Southwest with roasted chipotle for blazing layers of flavor. Try that steakhouse mustard for a zing of Worcestershire and tangy tomato. How about making an ordinary hot dog into an instant chili dog with El Diablo's Texas chili? Or perhaps try jalapeno on some hot bacon or burger for some real jalapeno puree with that mustard zing. I just did that over the weekend as I was talking with Chef Barry on those uh, atomic buffalo turds I made. Or perhaps try habanero for a flavor inferno for you daring types that demand all heat all day long. Get grilling. Add some flavor to your meat. Add some heat to your meat. Connect with El Diablo on the Facebook and on the Twitters for recipe tips and giveaways. Bold flavor, 
great taste, hot as hell. Again, the website if you want to check it out, El Diablo Mustard. Com. All right, we're back with the pre-cook events on the Competition Ribs Roundtable 2014 edition. Stick around. We'll be right back. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, we are back. Uh, we're going to push into the pre-cook or the prep portion of the Ribs Roundtable 2014 edition. Again, Scott Smith, Drew McNatt, and Dana Hillis are making the panel up tonight of uh, three of the best, well, three of the three best rib cooks. I'll say it. They Maybe, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Um, Gentlemen, let's uh, get into the pre uh, or the uh, the prep stuff. Uh, Dana, let me start with you. Um, spare ribs, baby back ribs, combination of both. What do you like to cook at the competition? Um, years ago, I started off with baby backs, but I, I switched to spares, uh, St. Louis cuts, and I've been a lot more consistent with those. And I'm pretty much stuck with those over the years. Uh, is it consistent in the cooking fashion or, or more consistent in the scoring fashion that you're seeing with that? Um. It's like anything else you cook. Um, if you get the, a good quality rib and they're just basically the same size and not big and small and makes it easier to cook consistently. And and uh, as far as the finish, you know, you do this a lot of times and you try to get a consistent product. And that's pretty much what it's all about. Uh, Scott Smith, are you a baby back guy or are you a spare rib guy? I do spare ribs. Have you ever uh, messed around with the baby back in competition or uh, always uh, spares right down the line? No, I've done uh, babies in comps uh, in the past. I have not done any this year. Did you find that uh, with the, the baby backs, the scoring wasn't where you were hoping? Or uh, what was uh, what was the, not issue per se, but what didn't you like about baby backs versus spares? Uh, the scoring. It it was uh it was hit or miss uh, with scoring on the baby backs even with the same profile uh, the flavor it was a hit or miss on scoring it was either really good or horrible they were in the middle of the road with it at all. Uh, Drew McNatt, uh, spare rib guy or baby back guy? Uh, I'm a spare rib guy. Uh, you're trimmed, St. Louis. Absolutely. All right. Um, and I uh, just asked Scott, uh, are you, have you ever messed around with the baby backs uh, from time to time or just, uh, spares right down the line? You know, if I'm cooking for myself, I actually like baby backs better. Um, but you know, it's not what I want. It's what the judges kind of want and expect obviously on, on the circuit. And, uh, you know, an area I compete in mostly, um, I, I just don't think there's, um, a big push for baby backs. I think they're expecting spares. Uh, Drew, let me stay with you on this follow-up question. How many racks of ribs do you typically cook for a competition? Well, I, mean, I cook four, um, and um, there's really no rhyme or reason why I cook that many. That's about how much room I have on my jambo, so that's what I cook. Um, I find that it gives me uh, the ability to try several and, and, and pick from the best. I usually have two that are um, the ones that, that are going to go in the box, and, and two I just turn around and throw away. Uh, Dana, how many racks are you cooking for a competition? Um, I cook a six-pack. Um, beer comes in a six-pack. My ribs come in a six-pack. That's pretty much what I do. Uh, Scott, how many racks are you cooking for a competition? Normally two. Two racks, all right. 
Um, let me go back to, to Drew for a quick follow-up question, uh, you know, with four, uh, and then I'll ask Dana with six. Um, there's a, a school of thought, you know, at one point, uh, we're talking about a different meat now when I say this, but uh, people were cooking three and, and four briskets, and all of a sudden it seems over the past year or so, people may be cooking uh, one brisket, and they're taking the time to, uh, I don't know if a babying is the right word, but if one seemed to be falling off, you'd just forget about that one and then and go back to the one that might be going well. Um, do you think a, a similar mindset would be placed on the rib thing? If you were cooking less, do you think you would be... Uh, a little bit more uh, babying of that rack of ribs because you only because you had less than you do now. Um, personally, no. Um, I mean, I, if you're going to use the word babying, you know, I, I look after and 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 monitor all my ribs and and try to cook four perfectly cooked ribs. And you know, meat's meat. There's always going to be one or two that taste different than the others that take on the flavors better than the others. Um, more tender than the others. So, so for me, um, that's the reason why I cook multiple ribs. And I just, we have so many, so much money invested in this already. Um, why not spend just a little bit more and, and get to that level where, you know, you're going to have some quality ribs turned in. Uh, Dana, love your thoughts on uh, the question I ask. And and do you follow Drew's line of thinking or uh, where do you fall out on that? Um, Drew's line of thing, I, I think the exact same way. The only reason I cooked six is in the FBA, you know, at KCBS you turn in six bones, maybe eight bones in your box. Um, some of the stuff we do down here in the south, there's 15, 16, 18 ribs in a box. I mean, we really pack them full and build some really cool stuff. So it takes, you got to have more to choose from. Um, the ribs I buy come in six packs, so, um, so nothing goes to waste. We cook them all, and hopefully somebody's around to eat a few of them if we got some left. Uh, Scott, let me flip it around for you since you do two racks. Um, had you ever cooked more uh, than just the two racks? Is that something you'd work back to? And, and do you have uh, any thoughts on that whole, uh, you know, babying or, or, or watching uh, what you have in a lesser amount versus a greater amount? Well, I, I buy six to eight racks. Oh. I prep six to eight racks. I just normally put two. I mean, I can get everything I need out of two, but I know what I'm looking for in my, they usually come in three packs. I'll buy two, three packs and pick out what I want out of those. It's just not a, I mean, I've cooked more, but it's just like the other guys. The other rack or two is going to go in, they're going to go home, you're going to give them away, throw them away, whatever. But no, I I usually buy six. I just cook two. All right, uh, next question. Uh, we'll go to Drew for this one to start. Uh, as far as knife skills and, and trimming of the ribs, obviously you're you're dealing with uh, the St. Louis style, as you said. Uh, do you buy them whole and then uh, cut them down yourself, or uh, what's your trimming process uh, of the ribs to include uh, membrane removal if you do that on the backside? Yeah, so definitely I buy, um, you know, commodity ribs come three to a pack, and, and um you know, I get home uh, and and find out the best ones out of that and trim them down into St. Louis uh, and uh, use paper towel on the back and take off the membrane. Drew, when you're looking at the rib, like what, uh, for the folks that uh, maybe are thinking about getting into the, the competition scene, uh, when you're evaluating your racks of ribs that you have getting ready to, to cut up, like what, uh, what makes the cut for you and, and what is going to get kicked off to the side? What are you looking for in a rib? Well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, you know, I'm looking for, um, you know, 
a thick, meaty rib that's well marbled, obviously. Um, but beyond that, I'm looking. I don't want any shiners where the bone is coming through on, on the tops, obviously. And then uh, um, I'm looking to see if the bones are straight versus curved. Um, and typically, you know, through the three pack, you can find the one that's either on the back or the front. And you're you're really, in my case, I'm buying that pack for that one rib. And if I get another rib, it's just a bonus. Um, most people don't know that, you know, if you go to the Sam's clubs, uh, um, you know, you don't have to just blindly buy a case from them. You can, you can go pick through the ones that are out there and, and take them to, to the butcher and, and he'll, he'll actually give you case price on the, on the free packs that, that, that you want to purchase. So that's what I do every week. That way I'm hand selecting mine versus blindly just getting a case. And then when I get home, usually I'm finding one additional bonus rib out of those that I'm using, and and the rest, um, I'd say, go in the trash. Uh, Scott, let me go to you uh, for that question. Uh, as far as the uh, trimming process is concerned, are you buying, you know, the full spares and, and trimming them down yourself, St. Louis style, or you're moving uh, the membrane on the back? And then lastly, you know, kind of what you're looking for when you're evaluating the ribs. I buy them uh, that's already cut in the St. Louis most of the time, and it's like Drew said, you're buying that three-pack for for that one rack that you can see the back or front of, and normally, uh, yeah, I always pull the membrane, and there's not a, uh, I like smaller bones, more meat. I'd look at bone diameter uh, in the end of the pack as much as I can, because the larger the bone, sometimes the quicker they cook due to the heat traveling through the rib makes sense uh dana hillis uh last on this one uh, trimming stuff uh, when it comes to ribs you buying them full and trimming them down yourself um removing the uh, backside membrane and uh, your evaluation process of uh, ribs when you're looking at them um both these guys just covered you know the main issues i, I agree with that i don't like a real big thick bone because it, it kind of plays when you go to slice, you don't get as much meat on each side. You can, sometimes if, if your bones are real big, you got to slice them a little different. But um, I, I try to buy St. Louis cut um, already. It depends on where we're at and what we're doing. But typically I get St. Louis cut. If not, I'll go to Sam's Club or, or you know someplace that has the big full spare ribs and try to pick some out. Just like the guy said, you know, they got to look good on the top of the, the, you know, the top rack in the pack is the one that you're buying it for. And you hope that you get another good rack or two out of there. But um, I, I don't mind cutting down um, spare ribs at all. Um, we've done it a million times. Uh, look for the nice meaty, you know, not so fatty, no shiners. Uh, definitely pull the skin off the back. And uh, look for consistency and straight bones. I mean, that's that pretty much covers it. Dana, have you ever messed around with those, uh, like the, the, the Compart uh, ribs or the, you know, those specialty type of uh, purveyor ribs? I ordered some one time. I had Janet, my wife Janet, does everything for me. I had her order some of those high-dollar ribs one time. They came to the house, and I can burn them up, mess them up just as easy as I can with cheap <laughs> ribs. So um, I try to stay away from those. I, I just look for some big, big meaty, store-bought ribs close to the house. Uh, Drew, you ever mess around with those uh, high-dollar ribs before? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, you know, I, I when I'm not using Sam's, I use Premier Proteins. Um, they have a, a Berkshire Duroc blend rib that's really good um that that i'll uh um, use from time to time um for me it really is just a matter of uh, the routine and if it's not broke don't 
fix it. So I kind of stick with what's got me where it has, and that's been just the commodity um, pork for now. But love the flavor. Definitely porky, um, milky texture to them. Um, my only one complaint is just sometimes they're a lot thinner than a normal rib, so they'll dry out a little quicker. Uh, Scott, you ever mess around with those uh, Duroc deals? No, I just uh, buy normally straight off the rack, uh, one of the wholesale clubs or restaurant depot, normally. Uh, Scott, let me uh, stick with you uh, for a return question. As far as rubs are concerned, obviously you guys are all cooking uh, pork butts in competitions, but uh, in in regards to the rub, are you using a completely different rub for your ribs that you would use on the pork butt? Uh, and if so, um, who uh, is it something that you're making yourself? Uh, or are you buying a, a commercially available rub, uh, Scott? You go ahead. I use a commercial available rub uh, that's an internet belt. Uh, Drew. Uh, using a different kind of rub? Oh, I'm sorry, let me go back. Uh, Scott, is it a different rub that you're using for ribs uh, versus pork butt? Yes, it is. I have a sponsor for both uh, for both categories, and I use a different rub on both products. Do you want to mention your sponsors on the air? Yeah, it's uh, you know, on pork butts. I use Wicked Q, which is uh, Jeff Campbell, and on uh, we use uh, Sweet Money from Big Pop Smokers. Uh, all right, uh, Drew, let me go back to you. Um, uh, as far as rubs, uh, do you use uh, something different for ribs uh, than you would for your pork butt? And is it something you're making yourself or something you can uh, get on the market right now? Yeah, so I, I definitely use a different rub um, for the two. Um, for me, I'm, I'm one completely different flavor profile. Um, it is just uh, um, rubs that I basically just um, I buy multiple um, and measure them out and, and basically just get make my own rub out of multiple that you can get online. The Hogstide, uh, the, the, the Hogtide Frankenstein, right? Uh, I guess you could call it that. <laughs> uh, Dana, um, as far as rubs are concerned on the uh, ribs, uh, different from the pork butt, and is it something you can buy uh, commercially or are you making it yourself at the house? Um, my rib rub is definitely different than my pork rub. They're uh, two different two totally different flavor profiles. Um, and my stuff's easy to find because I make it myself. I have it produced for me. It's a uh, Big Papa's Country Kitchen rib rub and Big Papa's Country Kitchen pork rub. Um, i got a website. It's easy to get. Um, a lot of people down here in the South are using it because I see them and they get it from me pretty regularly. Uh, Dana, let me stay with you uh, on this one for follow-up. Do you use any kind of uh, adherent on the meat, let's call it Worcestershire sauce, let's call it mustard or, or something else uh, that helps the, the rub stick, olive oil or what, what have you? Um, the process I go through when I, I apply my um, rub to my ribs, I actually wrap them with the rub on it, and, the, and I use quite a bit of sugar, so there's some, you know, the sugar dissolves, creates some moisture, helps hold the rub on, and... Uh, I don't use anything else. I've played with the olive oils. I've played with the Worcestershire shires. Pretty much um, my process goes through. I don't need it. Uh, Drew, uh, any adherent on the meat as you're uh, getting ready to lay that rub down? Um, I used to. Um, I used to have a concoction of a, a bunch of different syrups and sugars and and uh, honeys and all that kind of stuff that I would rub onto the ribs before I uh, season them and um, just... You know, I think about the time that I switched smokers over to the Jambo, um, that was too much sugars for it. So now I use the uh, 
um, the ever famous um, pork juice um, from the ribs as my adhesive. So um, we pretty much just rub them and wrap them, and uh, good to go. Uh, Scott, uh, any type of adherent on the meat as you're getting ready to season up the ribs? Nope, just rub them and wrap them. Rub them, wrap them. All right, uh, Scott, let me stay with you on this one. How far in advance are you rubbing the ribs prior to getting them on the cooker? One hour. Uh, one hour, you said, right? Yes, one okay. hour. Sorry, I thought you said wow. Um, uh, Drew, how far in advance are you uh, rubbing the ribs prior to getting them on the cooker? Uh, I'm, I'm actually rubbing mine around 5 o'clock the previous day. Right, uh, so you're uh, doing that well in advance. Dana, uh, how far in advance are you rubbing the ribs before you get them on the smoke? Um, my ribs are the last thing I prep, and it's usually sometime around 5, 6, 7 o'clock, either before uh, cook's meeting or after cook's meeting. Um, not not way too early, but uh, I definitely rub them before I you know, put my big meats on. I try to have everything done and prepped so you can concentrate on your big meats when you put them on. Do you, uh, Dana, do you... Tr- do you- purposely get them out in advance uh, for any type of a, a, a room temperature warm-up or anything like that? Um, in our old trailer, we kept everything in coolers. Uh, sometimes we had refrigerators. Um, we definitely pull them out an hour or two before we put them on just so that they're not ice cold. Um, the new trailer we just built, it's got a little refrigerant that is icy cold. So, yeah, they definitely have to come out an hour or two so they you know, they're not 33 degrees when I put them on the grill. Uh, Scott, do you uh, allow for any type of a, a temperature come up on those ribs or uh, no? No, I normally prep mine on uh, Saturday morning at, you know, 730, 8 o'clock, and uh, put them out. I take them right out of the refrigerator and put it right on them in. Uh, Drew, do you allow for any type of uh, a come-up-to-room-temperature situation? On the ribs? No, no. I pretty much just take them out of the cooler um, and put them straight onto my cutting board and start seasoning. All right, Drew. Let me stay with you for this one. And uh, you know, two years ago, I was laughed out of the room for asking it. um, But you know, things evolve over time, so uh, perhaps it's a different now that I ask it in the 2014 version. Uh, Drew, have you ever either brined or uh, perhaps even injected ribs uh, at a competition? No, I haven't. Ever. Ever. All right. uh, Scott, any ever brined or injected ribs? Never. Never. All right. Uh, Dana, brine or injected ribs ever at a competition? Don't lie like I know you want. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, recently, <laughs> no. Years ago, I tried everything under the sun. I played with it all to find something that hit. And uh, I don't anymore. Uh, Dana, anything else preparatory-wise that you do to the ribs that we haven't talked about yet before we talk about the cooking stuff? Uh, no, not really. It's just, uh, you know, we prep them. Um, we actually wrap them when they're prepped and put them on ice or put them in the refrigerator. And uh, Right before we put them on, we check and make sure our seasoning is on the way we want. Might have to touch it up a little bit, but try not to season too heavy and, and uh, put them on let them do their thing. Drew, anything else in the prep stuff that we haven't covered yet? No. Uh, once I season, I wrap, and they go in the cooler, and I'll get them again until they're ready to go on. Uh, Scott, anything that we haven't talked about that you do in the prep phrase? No. Mine stays simple. I pull them out and season them at the same time. So, no. All right. Uh, guys, sit back and relax here just for a couple minutes. We'll get back to the uh, cooking 
portion here in just a second. We're doing the 2014 Ribs Roundtable with Scott Smith, Drew McNatt, and Dana Hillis. I'm going to talk to you quickly about Cook Shack. That's right, folks. One of the uh, loyal sponsors of the show. Uh, maybe you need an easy and consistent smoker for your barbecue in the backyard. Check out Cook Shack's largest residential electric smoker, the AmeriCube model SM066. You can be a barbecue genius with this easy-to-use smoker. Now you will uh, get a bunch of great stuff if you order it. Uh, just tell the friendly and professional sales team at Cook Shack that you heard about the AmeriCube model SM066 right here on this very show. You can go to their website, cookshack.com. You can call them toll-free, 800-423-0698. Let me tell you about the AmeriCube quickly. It uses real chunks of wood to smoke your foods. It's inexpensive to operate, energy efficient to the spin glass insulation, and heavy-duty stainless steel construction. features a digitally controlled thermostat system and a meat probe, and it holds up to 50 pounds of meat and vegetables. All Cookshack products. Come with its famous no-risk 30-day money-back guarantee. Use it, abuse it for 30 days. And if you don't like it, send it back. You get your money back. You kidding me? No better deal than that right now. Don't delay. Call them right now, 800-423-0698. That's 800-423-0698. Or visit the website, cookshack.com. And tell their friendly staff that you heard about the AmeriQ model SM066 right here on the Barbecue Central Show. They'll be happy that you told them that. I'll be happy. Uh, Cook Shack, proud sponsor of the show. Happy to have them board. All right, we're, uh, we're talking the cooking portion of the Ribs Roundtable 2014 edition right after this. Stick around. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs. And the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. All right. We are back with the uh, ribs roundtable, moving into the cooking section here. Uh, we've prepped the ribs. We've found out uh, what looks good and uh, how we're picking out the ribs, all that good stuff. Uh, Scott, let me start back with you. Uh, in regards to uh, smoke flavor, uh, is there a specific type of wood that you like uh, to flavor the ribs in particular, or you just use uh, what you got for everything? How do you how do you roll there with the smoke? Uh, primarily cook with the fruit wood. The entire cook for all four categories. Do you like a specific fruit wood, or just whatever you can get your hands on? Uh, well, I like apple. I like peach. I like cherry. Whatever's. Uh, I've cooked with all three, and I've won with all three. I, there's not a lot of difference. Cherry sometimes will leave it a little darker, but other than that, they're pretty much all the same. Uh, Drew McNatt, uh, what do you like smoke wood-wise? Yeah, so I primarily cook uh, with, with Kingsford Competition Briquettes, um, and at the very, uh, probably the last 30 minutes of my rib cook before I wrap, um, a a uh, small piece of cherry wood will go on. Uh, Dana, smoke wood in regards to the rib cook. If, uh, I'm cooking on a fast eddy, um, it's strictly hickory. I'm, I'm all about the hickory. I've done very well with it. Um, it's a... Uh, no! What? What happened? Oh... Oh, oh, man. 
Damn it. I never thought this was going to... Hold on a second. 25. My Skype credit ran out. Crap. All right, give me one sec. They're wondering, what the hell? Where do you go? Hold on, guys. I'll be right there. I'm back. Sorry, I lost you guys. Uh-oh. Greg, are you there? Sorry about that. Everybody with me? I'm yeah, I'm back. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't pay the bill. I didn't pay the phone bill. I shut <laughs> my phone off. Sons of bitches. All right. Uh, sorry about that, Drew. You were talking about uh, Smokewood. Um, what uh, What did you like? I apologize. Yeah, I, I said that I used the Kingsford Competition briquettes, and then last thirty minutes I put on a piece of cherry wood. All right, um, Dana. What do you like for uh, Smokewood? Hickory. I'm a hickory guy. Um, the 100 percent hickory pellets on the fast eddies, and I've, I've done extremely well for a long time with those. All right, uh, Daniel, let me uh, stick with you here for the next question. As far as uh, pit temperature when you're cooking ribs, what do you like to keep the pit at? Um, 250. 250, all right. Barbecue temperature. Uh, Drew McNatt, what do you like to run the pit at for uh, ribs? I think you're going to see a gradual increase here. So I, I would be considered hot, hot and fast. I'm at 300. And then you're going to see ridiculously hot and fast with uh, Scott. <laughs> Uh, Scott, what do you uh, like to keep the pit at when you're doing the ribs? 350. 350. All right. So we got 250, 300, 350. So a nice 50-degree uh, 50 increase uh, across the line there. Uh, Scott, let me stick with you here. Um, I, I'm going to imagine that uh, perhaps you uh, foiled the ribs at some point. So uh, I guess, A, do you foil during the cook? And if so, uh, when or what causes you uh, to foil? Is it time? Is it color? Is it a mixture? Uh, what do you think about that? It's pretty much a timeline because if they're going to be the color I want at 350, it's pretty much a timeline, and I don't really foil them. I just kind of set them in a pan. I leave them on the rack there and set them in a pan, and I don't do I do foil the top of the pan, but I don't actually wrap them in a boat like most guys do. Uh, Drew, are you uh, foiling at any point in the rib cook? If so, 
Uh, is it time? Is it temp? Is it feel? Is it color? What do you What do you look for when you foil the ribs? If you do, yeah, I foil three hours into my cook. Uh, strictly time, or do you uh, look at color at all? Uh, no, it's strictly time. Um, I really, you know, with with using charcoal for the most part until the last thirty minutes, uh, my color is usually pretty much spot on. Uh, Dana, uh, do you foil during the cook, and uh, what are your uh, marks on when you should foil? I uh, started off years ago with the three, two, one, three hours at around two fifty, and then wrap them for two hours. And I do wrap, uh, put a little special magic in there, and and uh, and I wrap them, but I don't leave them fold tight. Um, sometimes the, the skin and everything will pull off the bones on the back if you let them steam too much. But um, I do wrap them to keep some of the flavor in, and and uh, yeah, I'm definitely definitely burn up some aluminum foil. Uh, Scott, let me pop back to you for this one. As far as uh, foiling, um, are you adding anything to the foil, uh, parquet, uh, tiger sauce, a special witch's brew, what have you? Um, anything going into that foil as you're uh, as you're doing that process? Normally, uh, this juice, apple juice. Uh, Drew, uh, anything that you're putting into the to the foil in regards to uh, extra flavor, anything like that? Yeah, so we're we're uh, getting some juice, some sugars, some butters, a uh, little concoction of everything. Uh, Dana, what do you like to? You, you mentioned the magic in the foil. What do you what do you like to put in there specifically? We've got a little brew that we mix up that we pour on top, and it's a combination of a lot. There's sugar in it. There's uh, might be a little honey in, a little molasses, a little. Uh, uh, apple juice, a little, a couple of things, um, just something to give it some moisture and, and, and get that final bit of flavor into it. Uh, Dana, how long are you keeping them wrapped for? Um, our, our basic time is two hours, but sometimes it's not quite that long. It, it, it uh, depends on, I don't know if it's humidity or if it's hot or if it's cold. Sometimes it, you know, it's an hour and 15, sometimes an hour and a half, sometimes it's two. Uh, Drew, do you have a, a specific time that you keep the ribs wrapped for, or uh, how do you work that deal? Yeah, I, I typically, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of the same way. Um, usually around an hour and 15 minutes, I'll start checking them, and they're either going to be really close to being done, or uh, it's time to put them up on the microwave oven. And, uh, and, you know, usually between an hour and 15 and an hour and 30, and they're off after I wrap. Uh Scott, how long are you keeping those ribs wrapped for? I'm normally between 45 minutes to an hour. I'm about an hour open sometimes, uh, 45 minutes to an hour on that wrapped up. All right, so, uh, Scott, let me stick with you uh, for this question. We'll uh, run in reverse order here. How do you know when the ribs are done? Like, what are you looking for? Do you take a toothpick to them? Do you pick them up in the middle and look for that crack in the meat? Uh, how do you know when they are done? I pretty much look at how far they pull back on the bone. I have a pretty consistent pullback uh, week after week, and I like to see three quarters to an inch of bone pulled back from that top side. And that's typically it's just visual, but I do not poke them or pick them up or anything. Uh, Dana, how do you uh, tell when the ribs are done? You poking? You picking them up? What are you doing? Man, my, I'm I'm like uh, Scott there. Mine. Uh, when the bone pulls back to right where it's supposed to, it's pretty consistent. 
Um, I do reach in towards the end and, and take two bones and see how easy they are to come apart. And uh, I kind of gauge it by that, but no toothpick. Um, Temperature-wise, uh, I've had a lot of people ask me what temperature to cook ribs to, and I've tried probing them with a thermal pen, and sometimes, you know, sometimes they're 195, sometimes they're 205. Um, you know, it depends on how thick the rib is before it gets done. So I really don't go by temperature. I go by look and feel. Uh, Drew, your last one up for here. Uh, how do you uh, tell when the ribs are done? Well, I've got several different ways, but, I mean, there's too many factors like humidity, altitude, just different things that affect, um, you know, when an actual piece of meat's done. And so for me, um, you know, when I open it up uh, and, and take a look at it, the first thing I'm doing is I'm looking to see if the bones on the backside are just starting to pop through where the membrane would have been on the back. Um, you know, I don't want it to pop all the way through. Obviously, the, the, the bone's going to fall out. But I'm on just that point where they're about to pop through or they're starting to pop through. And then I do take uh, my thermal pen and I probe them. And usually they're around 203 to 211, somewhere in that range. But, um, you know, I don't, like, just take them off at 203. I, I probe them, and, and if they're in that range, then I kind of just start probing all around and just look to make sure that they're tender and they have that consistency that I want, and then I take them off. All right, uh, Drew, let me stay with you here on this question. Are you setting a sauce or a, a glaze prior to taking these ribs off the cooker at all? No. No, I don't, I don't sauce until they're ready to go in a box. Uh, Scott, uh, setting any type of a sauce or a glaze prior to taking them off the cooker? I do. I have a concoction of uh, a couple of sauces that I do set for a few minutes before I uh, cut them, yes. Is it a blues hog sauce of some sort? It is. Uh, it's a combination of blues hog and a couple other guys out there, Craig, and maybe uh, fine swine or something. Uh, Dana, uh, setting any sauce or glaze before you're taking those ribs off the cooker? I'm like Drew. I, I bring them off the cooker, and I put a touch of sauce on them and put them in the box. I'm, I, I'm not heavy on the sauce. Um, hopefully, you know, it seems like the judges in the area where we're at like uh, the flavor of the meat and not too crazy with the sauce. Uh, Dana, anything else that you're uh, doing to the ribs during the cooking process that we haven't uh, brought up yet? Um, it, you know, hour into it, hour and 15 into it, I'm opening up my phone, I'm checking and I'm checking and, and, you know, start checking every five or 10 minutes because, uh, you don't want them to take off on you and you want to pull them at just the right time. And that's pretty much it. Keep an eye on them. Um, pull them out, open the foil, let them cool down a little bit before you stick them in a camera or anything so they don't keep cooking on you. Um, that's a mistake some people make, uh, stick them, you know, put them in a cooler or camera too fast and they overcook. Um, try to get that right tenderness, and that's, you know, we'll glaze the sauce and put them in the box and pray for the rib gods to be on your side. <laughs> uh, Drew, anything else in the cooking process uh, that we haven't talked about that you do? No, that's pretty much it. Um, you know, I don't even put mine in a camera. Mine get done between 1130 and 1140, and I usually just put them in a um, steam pan, and, and they stay on the, the rack of my Jambo. Um, if it's hot out and if it's not, I take them in the motorhome and and they just stay there until it's time to prep ribs. Uh, Scott, anything else that you are doing on the cooking process that we haven't talked about yet? 
Nope, I'm pretty much the same way. Mine are usually done around 12, 12, 15, and they rest a few minutes. They get cut and put in the box. All right, uh, so let's get into the uh, post-cook stuff, uh, turn-ins and so forth. Scott, let me go back to here uh, with this one. You know, regarding the the, the turn-in uh, boxes, uh, and obviously Dana's going to be a, a little bit different here, but are, are you a, uh, a lettuce garnish guy? Are you a parsley garnish guy? Where do you fall out on the garnish stuff? Lettuce. Lettuce, all right. Uh, Drew, what do you like to garnish the box with? Uh, we do parsley. Parsley. Uh, Dana, obviously, Florida Barbecue Association is a meat contest. So no uh, no garnish in there. But when you, uh, I know you kick over KCBS every once in a while. Uh, what do you like to garnish those boxes with? Um, I play with both uh, parsley and lettuce. Uh, my wife's really good at building the parsley boxes. And she packs it in so tight that if they pull a piece of meat up, it's, it's pretty consistently not much parsley hung to the bottom of it. Um, I've played with uh, lettuce and... Uh, I enjoy lettuce more because of that factor that it doesn't stick. And, and uh, I don't know, it's a big change and a lot of fun for me when I go do a KCBS because it's, you know, a change of pace from what we normally do. Um, I kind of kind of like doing the, uh, the greenery. Uh, Scott, let me go back to you. As far as ribs that you're turning in and, and the racks that you have, um, how are you going about choosing uh, the ribs from those slabs to turn into the box? Ninety percent of mine is the way they cut. I can tell when I lay them down to cut them if they're where I want them, and I rarely get a rib. Uh, Drew, um, how are you deciding what ribs are going into the box? Uh, similar to Scott, I I can pretty much um, every week um, I tell my dad or whoever's with me. Uh, that, you know, this one's too dry, this one's too tough, uh, or we've got a winner just by uh, using my electric knife and cutting them. Um, but I always try um, one rib from every rack, and um, nine times out of ten, one will taste better than the others. Um, and then from there, I just kind of move on from what's important. I go taste down to tenderness. Um, and uh, if I can get two racks that are... Uh, tasty and, and tender they're both going in the box uh dana how are you uh figuring out what ribs are going to make the cut into the uh, box to run to the tent uh, pretty much kcbs if you know six ribs in the box i pick out six that look as much alike as they possibly can and and the same thing like scott said when you cut them um you know you got good ones you can feel it when you cut them um Six in the box in case he does FBA style. Man, you got to have you a pan full of ribs to try and pick some off that all match. And um, the key to FBA is not seeing any white in the bottom of the box. And build, the rib box is the hardest one to build to accomplish that. Um, we used to be able to take loose rib meat and put it in the bottom of the box, and you could stack your ribs across the top of that. But uh, they know they haven't allowed that for several years. Um, so it's uh, it's a little more creative. Um, Got to have a few more good ribs to uh, play with to you know try and build a nice uniform box. Uh, Drew, let me go back to you here for this question. As far as you know, when you're cutting them, uh, do you go like straight single bone, or uh, will you attempt to do uh, what is called the uh, the Cadillac cut? No, we just we just uh, considering we're wanting a full box as well, um, and, and we're turning 
minimum of 10 bones usually. Um, <laughs> I don't have enough ribs to do that, like the Hollywood cut. So I, I just stick to a single bone. Uh, Scott, single bones, or uh, will you uh, do the Hollywood or the, the Cadillac cuts? Um, the same way as I'm single bone. I don't have enough to double bone for one with two racks I'm cutting from, and I try to get 10 in the box with uh, with a single bone cut. Uh, Dana, I'm uh, assuming you might go uh, more of the, the single bone ju- just because of uh, Florida Barbecue Association affords you the opportunity to, to put so many more in a box, uh, or do you do uh, Cadillac cuts? I've played with both, and, and it all depends on how good your ribs are and how many you got. If you got a lot of ribs, if you're doing KCBS, I love KCBS because I can I can slice, I can cook two slabs of ribs or three, and get enough bones to build a box. Um, but like the other guy said, you don't. If you only got two or three slabs you're playing with, you don't have enough to. By the time you cut all the way to bone on one side and all the way to bone on the other side, you're lucky to get three good bones out of a slab of ribs. It'll take you three, four slabs to build a box like that. I have played with it both ways, but pretty much a straight bone guy. All right, uh, Daniel, let me stay with you here uh, just for the uh, the final question. Anything uh, that you are doing prior to turn-in that we uh, haven't talked about in regards to the rib box? Um, prior to turn-in, absolutely not. Just hoping for luck. And, and uh, I've got a son that travels with me sometimes, and, and he's my good luck child. He'll take one rib and he'll eat it. And if he has sauce all over his face, then I know we got a good chance to win. If there's no sauce on his face, then I don't plan on going to the stage. High, uh, seems like a high percentage shot there. Uh, Drew, uh, anything else uh, that you are doing in the in the post stuff, getting ready to, to run the box to the judges we haven't talked about yet? Uh, after I cut them um, and flip them back over, I usually reglaze them. And then I do uh, put a sprinkle of uh, seasoning and reapply seasoning to them. And then uh, usually spritz them with water just to make them look glistening and them in the box. Uh, Scott, anything else that you're doing uh, prior to running the box to the judges' tent? We'll spritz occasionally to you know to bring the, the lettuce or parsley back up. Uh, but normally, no, nothing uh, out of the ordinary. I mean, if the lettuce is dried down a little, we may get a little little sheen just with plain water. All right, uh, Scott, let me stay with you. We're going to uh, pop into the parting shots segment. So uh, this gives you some time if you have anything that you're selling, anything you'd like to promote, where you might be cooking at next, whatever you want. It's kind of an open floor section. Is my thanks to you for uh, laying out for the last 51 minutes or so. Uh, so, Scott, uh, the floor is open to you. Pitmaster of Kewen, Stewen, and Bruin. We uh, typically uh, use our Southern Q smokers, which are manufactured uh with a company that I own, uh, push Southern Q's very hard. We've got one of the number one smokers in the Southeast, and uh, I think we do have the number one water cooker, but uh, and I'd also uh, thank all the guys that helped me with the Fine Swine and Wicked Q and Grizzly Cooler. Some of those guys are uh, are just, they go above and beyond for us, and just, uh, we'll be in Gainesville, Georgia next week, and we'll be out uh, South Haven, Mississippi the week of the following week uh, for the Sam's Regional. So, and you're liable to see us anywhere. We'll go all over. Uh, Dana Hillis, uh, pitmaster of Big Papa Smokers. Anything you'd like to uh, promote or otherwise talk about? I uh, we have 
uh, all kinds of sauces and rubs available. You can go to our website, bigpapascountrykitchen.com, and order up anything you want. Main thing I'd like to run real quick, October 3rd and 4th in Lakeland, we have a thing called the Kid Pack Polk uh, County Project. It's a barbecue throwdown. We're collecting cans of Chef Boyardee microwavable cans. Um, you can go to my website and find a link from Amazon and, and send us some. We uh, we gather a bunch of cans of uh, food for these kids that need something to eat on the weekend. They put together a little package to send home to some needy children that um, aren't getting much food to eat on the weekend. And we come up with as much cans of ravioli as we can to send these kids home. So if anybody out there can send some to us, man, go to our, go to our website, uh, go to the Amazon link, and send us a can or two of Chef Boy RD. Uh, last but not least, Drew McNatt, pitmaster of Hogtide Barbecue. Yeah, well, so I just wanted to uh, say, you know, thanks, Greg, for having me on. And, uh, yeah. you know, I've got some sponsors that have been really good to me through the years, uh, Clorox Company uh, in Kingsford Charcoal, um, as well as Premier Proteins out of Kearney, Missouri. Um, they've got excellent uh, um, Berkshire um, Duroc pork and then, also, the Wagyu, Wagyu brisket to help me uh, to number one uh, team of the year in brisket last year. So, um, you know, I got to give them a shout out. Um, and then, uh, you know, just uh, like Hogtide Barbecue Facebook page or check out my website. Uh, every now and then, uh, when we get a wild hair, we decide to do a class every now and then. So, uh, if anybody's interested, shoot me a mail and I'll let you know if we're doing one for next year. Uh, Drew McNatt is the pitmaster of Hogtide Barbecue, currently number one in the KCBS for ribs. Scott Smith is the pitmaster of Kewen, Stewin, and Bruin, currently number two in the KCBS for ribs. And Dana Hillis won the ribs category for 2014 in the Florida Barbecue Association, pitmaster of Big Papa's Country Kitchen. Uh, guys, appreciate the time tonight, all the uh, inside tips, tricks, and techniques. Uh, continued success, and we'll talk again soon. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. Yep, there they are. The 2014 Ribs Roundtable Panel, ladies and gentlemen, yeah! Two cheers for that. That's right. And a technical folly. Uh Not to be deterred, folks. Not to be deterred. Uh, Folks, quickly, let me talk to you about the good folks over at the Barbecue Guru, makers of automatic temperature control technology, located in Warminster, Pennsylvania. If you're thinking about automatic temperature control devices, this is the place to go. They will keep your pit temperature wherever you set it at. Number of different models to choose from. CyberQ, Wi-Fi, the PartyQ, all that good stuff. The Onyx Oven Cooker. Do yourself a favor. Head on over to thebbqguru.com. Check out their products. If you have any questions about what to order, call them directly. 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. Or visit the website, thebbqguru.com. And you can make sure that you get exactly what you need. If you have any questions, give them a call. They'll make sure you're outfitted with exactly what you want and what you need. 800-288-GURU or thebbqguru.com. We're back to wrap the show after this. Stick around. Get in the smoke. Call 877-448-0433 to get on the air. Now, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show, the last segment of the show, brought to you by CookinPellets.com. Your number one source for quality wood pellets. I use them in all of my uh, wood pellet cookers. For all your pellet-driven cookers, go to CookinPellets.com. 
not going to void any warranties or anything like that. Uh, not 50 billion different flavors. You got hickory, and then you have, like, the premium blend. You can also visit them on Amazon.com or visit the main website, CookinPellets.com. That's Chris Becker and the good people over at CookinPellets.com. Buy your cooking pellets there. You're not going to be sorry that you did that. I guarantee that. All right, here we go. Let's wrap it up. All the way back in the first hour, we were uh, joined by Chef Barry Martin. CB, as we uh, call him here in the industry. CB Martin. Talked about tailgating, talked about some cookers, talked about some recipes, talked about some safety stuff when it comes to tailgating. Uh, visit him at welcome to the cookout.com. Welcome to the cookout.com. Join in the fun. Then we talk to Mike McLeod, MMA Creative, also the creator of the World Food Championships. New stuff on the World Food Championships for this coming season. It looks like there'll be a second season of a TV show covering the third World Food Championships. Thanks to Mike, as always. And then, thanks to my guest, Drew McNatt from Hogtie Barbecue, Scott Smith from Q and Stew and Bruin, and Dana Hills from Big Papa's Country Kitchen for the 2014 competition ribs roundtable the most downloaded shows during the course of the calendar year for this show certainly no disappointment in the ribs roundtable they all brought it strong didn't hold anything back and i appreciate that more than anybody even more than you listen uh september 11th 2001 i will never forget we're going to take a break from the competition roundtable next week but then we'll kick it back with the chicken and close it out for 2014 Until then, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.